Let's bow our heads as we jump into today's teaching now. Father, thank you for your spirit that is here. Thank you for every single person that is here as well. We thank you for every person watching online. We know that it's no accident. We don't believe that is a coincidence that they are here and watching or listening. So we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would continue to draw close to this place and that you would move as we dialogue and share in your word. For we do ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to talk to you today about how to respond when your world falls apart. But let me define what I mean by that. First, I'm not talking about what you do while your world is falling apart. If you feel like your world is falling apart right now and you're in the midst of the fire furnace with the three Hebrews, as it were, you just keep standing next to Jesus who's standing next to you. If you feel like your world is currently falling apart and you feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, then you don't stop there. You don't pause when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. You keep on walking through and you keep following the good shepherd who's in front of you. If you feel like perhaps your world, for some reason, is somehow falling apart, and maybe you stepped out in faith in obedience to the invitation of God, and all of a sudden, like Peter, for a moment you're walking on water, but then for whatever reason, you're beginning to sink. If that's you, and it seems like your world is beginning to fall apart, you say that three-word prayer, Lord, save me. But that's a different message. Today, I want to talk to you about how to respond afterwards. Once you're on the other side, when you found some deliverance and you realize that you have actually made it through. It's when you faced the battle of finals week and maybe you didn't really study as much as you should have, but praise God, hallelujah, you made it through. It's when maybe you've been having some problems in your marriage or your relationship and you feel like you got pretty close to the edge of calling it all off. The devil was really trying to mess you up, but praise God, he saw you through. You survived. You made it. It's when you've been going through some kind of financial crisis and you had no idea how you were going to survive. And maybe right now you're barely surviving, but the truth is you're still standing. You're still surviving. The question is, how do you respond after your world falls apart? Now, in our search for an answer today, I want to invite you to journey with me some thousands of years to the past. Past the time of Jesus, we're going to keep going further back in the past. And I want you to imagine yourself amongst the throng of people on that day as they were looking up at him. He's just an old crazy man, they must have thought. After all, everybody knows that old men are just full of liquor and lies and long-winded tales. Surely this one was no different, they must have thought. You see, this husband of a small family had been spinning wives' tales for dozens and dozens and dozens of years. And his initial message, though shocking and sobering, after a while, it just, well began to lose its luster. People no longer started to believe, but at first, they thought it would be a good thing to investigate. So they did. 
They called all the best and the brightest scientists and analysts and philosophers of the world. They put together these blue ribbon committees and commissions. And all of a sudden, scientists with doubtful glares began peering into the sky. But after much study, it was determined that the laws of nature were fixed and that God would in no wise contravene against how he had acted before in the past. So the books closed, the committees dissolved, and thusly Noah became a living meme. The archetype of that senile old man muttering to himself on a park bench something about repentance and salvation. That is, until that one day, though. You see, the first sign that anything was amiss was what sounded like a low-frequency rumbling, like an earthquake. And they looked down, and they saw rocks spinning in place. But then they thought they heard something. They were stunned, horrified by what they heard. Because when they turned around, they saw thousands of animals coming out of the forest, birds flying through the sky, guided calmly, walking as if guided as if by some invisible ringmaster, right into the doors of the ark. Now that sign, believe you me, a lot of people believed. Well, comparatively, I suppose it was a minority. Most of the people, they figured out good and reasonable explanations for what took place. No, that couldn't have been a supernatural event. You see, supernatural events don't really happen. We're scientists, we know better. Small group believed and they said, you know, I I think that might be something supernatural, but because the power of the majority was so influential and because they continued sticking around them, they got dissuaded by their initial belief. But then something else happened. Eight days later, after the doors of the ark were shut in, all of a sudden, the sky, which before was wispy and cirrus-like, all of a sudden began to be painted a darker color. All of a sudden, the clouds began to assemble shoulder to shoulder as if on a battle line, cumulonimbus in formation and dark their color. Then the flash all eyes blinded momentarily because of that massive streak of lightning that pierced the morning fog. But it all boiled down to one drop of rain that started it all. And with that one drop of rain, all of a sudden everyone began to believe that perhaps what this muttering old preacher was saying all these years 
perhaps it was true. Is it okay if I pause the movie we're watching right now? Can I put the pause button for a second? I think most of us are familiar with the story of Noah, right? And we kind of laugh and say, boy, he had some really bad evangelistic results. After all, he preached for 120 years, and the only people that he convinced were his own seven-member family. That's it. Nobody else got into the ark. I think we know the story of how it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and how this life raft of a boat that saved this family, how water covered everything that had ever been exposed. I think we know the story of how these seven souls and a bunch of animals, and there's Noah holding on for dear life. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like your world has fallen apart. Now look, it doesn't have to be anything nearly as dramatic as that. Maybe you've just been having some difficulties lately. I think most of us can identify with the reality that we've been through some challenges, some difficulties. Maybe you're going through some right now. But has your world ever literally been swept away with a flood? Anybody? Nope. Didn't think so. Imagine being Noah. Everything you had ever worked for, gone. Every investment you had ever made, come to naught, gone. Every person that you had ever seen outside of your family, every place that you had ever been to, would now only remain forever locked in your mind. It's just a memory. All gone. So here's the question. How should you respond after your world has fallen apart? I want to share with you two principles this morning that we find from the story of Noah based upon how he responded when he actually got out of the ark. And I want to share the very first principle with you here. If you're taking notes, write this down. Remember this very first principle. Here's what you need to do after you have survived. Here it is. Worship God and memorialize his movements in your life. Very first strategy. That's what you do. That's how you respond. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there in front of you. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. I want to invite you to turn there with me. And we notice the very first thing that Noah did as soon as he got out of the ark. I mean, he could have done so many different things, but here's what he did. Notice what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, just the first piece. It says, and Noah built an altar to the Lord, and we'll camp there for a minute. So what did Noah do immediately upon exiting the ark? He built an altar. Now the question is, what's an altar? Have you ever thought about that? Here's a really simple definition. An altar is a platform that's made out of stones that's used to facilitate worship. Super simplistic distillation of what an altar actually is. And it was used to facilitate worship in at least two different ways. The first way that an altar was used to facilitate worship is by being an altar of sacrifice. You remember the Old Testament, the Bible teaches that we're saved by faith in the lamb that was to come. 
In the New Testament, we're saved by faith of the Lamb that came, Jesus Christ himself. So in the Old Testament, when someone brought an animal to sacrifice, it was an act of worship. By the way, that's what it's talking about in Romans chapter 12. When it says, you know, you need to present your, yourselves, your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, is what the Bible says. Okay, so the first way that an altar serves to facilitate worship is by serving as an altar of sacrifice. But in the Bible, we also find another way that it's used to facilitate worship. And it's this. Altars were used by people to commemorate and memorialize the movements of God in their life. I want you to see this in the scripture. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 now. Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to look at verse 7. So Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Notice what it says here. We're kind of going to build a case for a few moments. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he did what? What did it say, church? (laughs) There he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he keeps doing it, doesn't he? And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Did you catch what happened there? God supernaturally appears to Abram and he says, whoa, I need to commemorate this thing that just happened right now. God appeared to me, I must worship. I need to worship. So he did that. He put together an altar, gathered stones. He built an altar and he sacrificed to worship there. But not just that. The Bible teaches that wherever he went, he would go about the business of building other altars. And guess what? As Abram, later Abraham, crisscrossed the country, And whenever he would bump into one of these altars that he had built before in the past, ah, all of a sudden he would be reminded that, yes, that's the place where God showed up in my life. But by the way, it wasn't just a personal reminder and witness to Abraham. No, it was a witness to all the people that Abraham came into contact with later on. Because as all of them, the Canaanites, they're passing by, they're saying, oh, there's that altar that Abram built. And actually, I'm remembering how he talked to us about this creator God. And it served as a witness for others. But let's look at another scripture. Genesis chapter 26, verse 25. Genesis chapter 6, verse 25. So turn a few pages over in the Bible. Genesis chapter 26, verse 25. And it reads, and the Lord appeared to him the same night. This is talking about Isaac now, and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. And if you read the scriptures right before that, it talks about how Isaac had been having all kinds of problems with wells. 
you know, Isaac was, was finding these wells that his father Abraham had built. He was unplugging them and all the people around him, he had all these enemies, people that were jealous of his success and how God had been blessing him. And so they would come behind his back and they would plug up all the wells that he had opened up again. And so all of a sudden, finally, Isaac gets to this one well, he unplugs it. And finally, in this place, God confirms the covenant that he had made with his father, Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you. In the same way that I was with your papa, I'm going to be with you. You don't need to worry. I got you. All right. And so what do we see that Isaac did? Apparently he had picked it up from his father. What our kids will often do what we do, right? Apparently he saw his father sacrificing and worshiping at the altar. He said, whoa, God showed up here. I must commemorate this place. I must commemorate the movement of God in my life right here. So he built an altar. All right, let me show you one more because I really want you to catch this principle that we see here in the Bible. All right, turn now over to Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22, verse 26 through 27. And it reads, therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. So this was the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the Bible here says that they decided to build kind of an extra-large altar. But they were very clear to identify. They said, no, 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 no. We're not building this for the purpose of sacrifice, actually. We're building this to remember that we are part of God's people. So that when our children after us say to us, hey, do you have a share in the inheritance Say, yep, you look at that altar and don't you forget that God has been with us and God has been blessing us. So what's the first thing that we need to do? The first strategy, how should we respond after? Well, it's really simple. You worship God and you memorialize his movements in your life. Now, let me ask you this question. Why is it so important to memorialize God's movements in our life. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it such a big deal? Here's why. Because the times inevitably come in which we face some kind of challenge. The devil tries to trip you up. The time inevitably comes in which you face some kind of difficulty in your life. And all of a sudden, the devil tries to swoop in around you and behind you. And he tries to block the glory of God. And he tries to whisper in your ear. You see? Hey, you see? You're all alone. God's not with you. You're mine now. Just give up. Don't worry about them. They don't care about you. You're here and you're never going to recover. That's why it's so important, church. That's why it's so important. Listen now. That's why it's so important. You need to set up these memorial stones to memorialize the movements of God in your life. Because if you have been doing that 
when the devil tries to discourage you. Say, wait a second, devil. I'm looking back on my life and I'm seeing these distinct anchor points. I'm seeing these distinct moments in my life in which God has been with me. And I remember them. Why? Because I've set up these places. I've built these altars and they're all across the country. Say, devil, you're a liar. Get behind me. Period. But if you haven't been doing this part, though, if you have not been building these altars, you're going to look back. You're not going to have anything to look back on. You're going to say, well, yeah. Maybe you haven't been. Maybe God hasn't been with me after all. Okay, let's put some meat on the bones because some of you are wondering, okay, well, Rodley, what does it look like? What do you mean by memorializing or remembering the movements of God in your life? Here's what it looks like for me, okay? This is super simple, super basic. Here's one way that I remember and memorialize the movements of God in my life. I journal. On the last part of my devotional time, where I'm spending time in reading the scripture, I'm reflecting on what it means, and then the very last part of it, I'm responding now to God, right? And in this journal, I talk to God about what I read and what I'm seeing and I'm worshiping, but sometimes I'm also just cataloging. I'm saying, God, I'm feeling discouraged today. God, I'm going through this particular difficulty, and so I really need you to show up. God, will you give me more patience? God, will you, give, will you encourage me? I need a special token of your favor, God. I'll write that down. And guess what happens? So often, I will look back on other entries that I've written, entries that I wrote when I was on the mountaintop. Do you know what I'm talking about? When God has just finished doing some amazing miracle, when God just finished seeing me through in an amazing way, and I see that, and I see the catalog along the way, and I say, God, in the same way that you've been with me in the past, I believe by faith you're going to continue to be with me. So a journal. I mean, you can journal. I learned it from Pastor Dwight. He uses a 99-cent journal. I use an app on my computer. I just think better on a keyboard. That's what I prefer. But can I show you two other ways that I catalog the movements of God in my life? I don't keep a lot of letters and things like that. I don't, I don't keep a ton of them. I'm just being honest with you. But every now and then, I keep some. And I want to share with you just the first sentence of one of them that has really become an anchor point for my life. I said, you know, I, I want to remember this forever. It's in my little fireproof box that I have at my house. It's dated November 14, 2002. I was a senior at Southern Adventist University in Collegeville, Tennessee. And I was biology pre-med when I started school. That was my lifelong dream. I knew I was going to be a doctor. God supernaturally called me. He, threw, he showed me three specific signs, the last one being a dream. And he says, Rodley, you need to get into ministry. I said, okay, God, I don't know, but I'm going, to, I'm going to follow your revelation. I'm going to follow. So now this is my senior year. Notice what it says here. It was written by Ken Burrow, by the way. He was the, what's called the ministerial director of the Florida Conference at the time. He says, Dear Rodley, this letter is to officially call you to be a pastor in the Florida Conference. 
We understand that you'll be graduating in December 2002, and we'll be sending you to seminary under our sponsorship starting in May 2003. How many say amen? amen? When I got this letter, it was just such a confirmation for me that God was at work and that God was, was doing something that I just told myself, you know what, I need to remember this. And every now and then, if I'm feeling discouraged, I'll pull that letter out and I'll read it again. All right, can I, can I show you one more? This one's a little, this one is really cute. I've never shared it publicly before. It's a little embarrassing to share publicly, but because I love you, I'm going to share it with you. I want you to see the, the cover first, if we, can, if we can capture that. So thank you, Pastor Ortiz. And I want to show you the inside of it, and then I'll read it to you. It's, it's quite cute. So there's a little drawing of somebody preaching. Can you see that? Okay. Let me read to you what it says. It says, Dear Pastor Ortiz. By the way, if you know who wrote this, or if you wrote this, this would have been about three or four years ago. Can you let me know? I would love to thank you. Because you have no idea what this little thing has done for me. Dear Pastor Ortiz. Thank you so much for serving as a pastor at PMC. Your sermons are so interesting. In fact, you're my favorite pastor at PMC. I told you it was a little embarrassing. It said, your sermons apply to everyone from young to old. May God richly bless you as you continue to advance the work and serve God with your gift of preaching. And then he says, thank you. Or she says, thank you. This holds a really prominent place in my office. I keep it on my bookshelf. And I go to this thing fairly often whenever I get discouraged. I just go to it and I smile and I chuckle a little bit and I just praise God and I said, okay, God, there's at least one young man or young woman out there that, that seems to be connecting with, with what we're doing here. So praise God and I praise him. But here's the deal. It's really simple, guys. There's, there's the principle. What do you do when you have been delivered? What do you do? Well, you worship God and you memorialize his movements in your life. All right, one more strategy. Second principle, second thing that Noah did. Don't miss this, really important. Second principle, give a sacrificial offering based on your gratefulness. Did you catch that? So the second principle, the second thing that we should do is give a sacrificial offering based on your gratefulness. Notice what the Bible says. We're going back now to Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Did you catch that? How many of all the clean animals did Noah sacrifice? What does the Bible say? He took of every clean animal. Now, this is wild. This is wild. Listen now. Huddle up. Huddle up. Listen. Listen. That is not what the law required. Are you with me, church? Hang with me. Hang with me. That is not what the law required. If, if he was going to atone for his sin and he wanted to worship, okay, he, he, he might have said, okay, boys, you know, talking to his sons, 
that, that we're not on dry, on dry ground. We're going to take an animal for every single one of us. And we're going to worship and we're going to sacrifice. Right? But he said, boys, God has moved in a special way. And we're going to respond in a sacrificial way. Boys, give me one. Send me one in my direction out of every single clean animal. And imagine the boys. Pop. Every? Yep. But, but don't you think, Dad, that we probably ought to be a little conservative now? Don't get too carried away with these things of God now. Don't you think we need to be a little more conservative? Because after all, how are we going to survive in this new world? This is why God gave us this abundance. This is why God gave us these animals. To be for food now. I mean, if there's, seven, there's only seven of every clean one. If you take one, there's only three pairs left. Only six of them left. Are you sure that's the right call, Dad? Yep. No doubt. No doubt at all. Why? Because when God has shown up in your life, we ought to give sacrificially in response to our gratefulness. And look, let me just be really open and honest with you. I kind of feel like that was a new principle for me personally. I mean, we're all familiar with, you know, the Bible talks about tithes and offerings, right? Tithe is 10% of your increase. It doesn't matter how much you make, whether you're poor or rich. Everybody is treated the same. It's proportional. So the Bible says tithes and offerings. That's what the law requires, if you will. Hang with me, right? That's kind of what the law, that's what the Bible says. But now Noah says, nope. God, you've shown up in my life in this special way. I'm going to go above and beyond what is required because I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. I just want to. It all belongs to you anyway, God. It's one of every single animal. By the way, if you're still in your Bibles, just notice the response here. I don't think I have this on the screen, but verse 21 in your Bible. Notice the response of God to Noah's act of faith and worship. It says, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So in other words, God's own heart is moved by seeing the heart and the faith of this man called Noah. To God, it doesn't matter. I know that other people are going to think that if I give too much, I'm putting myself at a disadvantage. I know other people are going to think that it's weird. But God, you've been so good to me that my only response is to, by faith, put myself, watch now, put myself in a weaker position financially. I'm going to purposefully put myself in a weaker position which will force me to depend upon you but I'm doing it all as a response to how good you've been to me out of my gratefulness to you I'm going to give it all up and put myself in this position 
I want to invite you to pull out your connect card. Inside your worship bulletin, you should see a little card that looks like this. If this is your first time here, please put your name on it on the front of the card. Put your email address on there. But I want to invite you to turn to the back of the card. Because every single week here at Pioneer, we encourage everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a first-time guest here today or a long-time member. You've been here for 50 years. I don't care. We encourage everyone to take some kind of next step in their walk with God. So here's the simple question I want to ask you today. What is the next step that God is calling you to make today, right now? And notice there's a few next steps on the back of the card, and I want to walk you through some on the bottom right of the card. Here's what the first one says. I accept God's invitation to join the ark that is Jesus. Because maybe as you're listening here today, you're saying, well, wait a second, Rodley, I'm I realize that I'm not living right. I realize that I'm outside of the ark. If, if the doors of the ark were to close tonight, I realize that I would be outside because I've been amidst the throng. I've been amongst these people and I've been believing their lies and I've been hanging with them. But maybe today you want to say, you know what? I want to get in there. By the way, you know, all you need to do to be saved You know what it takes? Get on the ark. Just get on the boat. Just get in. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've looked like. Doesn't matter what you're currently struggling with. Just get on the boat. Period. Just respond to the invitation. Because getting on the boat, responding to Jesus is an act of faith that God responds to. He says, yep, I see my boy. I see my girl. So if that's you today, check that off. Two, I need extra prayer for something I'm going through right now. You're saying, Rodley, what you're saying is fine. I'd like to be on the other side, but right now I'm currently in the midst of the storm. Right now, just like everything is falling apart around me, I need some extra prayer. If that's you today, we're going to pray for you. We see these cards, all the pastors see these the, the back of these, we're going to pray for you. This goes for a prayer team that we have here in the church. We're going to pray for you. So if you're going through something right now, just check that off. But lastly, and everybody listen now, please. If you're watching online, by the way, every single one of you are a part of this. You're not exempt from these next steps. There are some options there on the screen as well that you can follow along. It's the last next step there. I want to give sacrificially based on my gratefulness. You're saying, Rodley, I don't have anything extra to give. You're missing the point. It's called giving sacrificially. It's supposed to be an act of faith. It's supposed to seem difficult. And I just want to confess to you something here today. I feel impressed to give sacrificially in response to something that God did for me just a few weeks ago. Some of you know that I've been working on this doctor of ministry degree from Fuller Theological Seminary, and I submitted the first two chapters of my thesis, and I felt like it was pretty messy and it wasn't all put together, but it went to the content reader, which is one of the professors there at Fuller, and he sent it back. He said, Rodley, you're good to go on these two chapters. He said, there's a few little grammatical things you need to work on, but you're good to go as far as content. You can ask my wife. 
that I was worshiping at home. And I feel impressed. I said, God, I'm going to give something sacrificially to you based upon what you did for me just a few weeks ago. So take a moment, take 30 seconds right now and think through this idea. What has God done for you lately? How has God blessed you lately? How has God delivered you lately? How has God shown up in your life lately? And as you remember that, I want to challenge you right now, today, I want to challenge you today to give sacrificially as an act of gratefulness to God. None of this is going to go to me. You can give to whatever funds you want. I'm not talking about tithes. I'm not talking about your, your regular offering. You can give to the evangelism fund. You can give to, you know, we're trying to build a new roof. You can give to wherever you feel God impresses you. I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to look at it. But you need to give as an expression and as a symbol of your gratefulness to God. So if that's you today, just, just check it off. It's not going to feel easy. It's going to feel difficult. It's supposed to. And I just want to pray for you now before we receive the morning's tithes and offerings. Let's just bow our heads in this moment. Let's just pray together. Father, I want to pray for all those that are making decisions right now. And I just ask that you would now give them the boldness to follow through with whatever it is that you are impressing upon their heart. Give them that courage. Just help them to do it, Father, through the power of your strength. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.